Hello, friends. Welcome to the dimension of our midnight cake. I'm Soltis. Joining me in the nexus between realities are my friends and fellow transdimensional beings, Lumberdor and Beaches. Unfortunately, Doug once again is handling a crisis in his own plane of existence and will be unable to join us for this transmission. However, we do have a special guest joining us for this discussion, another one of my brothers, Banjo. And for his first expedition into the nexus of realities, he suggested that we review the films and the unique visual style of Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson is an American filmmaker born in Houston, Texas. His films are particular for their eccentricity and distinctive visual and narrative styles. Many critics have cited his work as an example of a modern auteur. Anderson worked part-time as a cinema projectionist while attending the University of Texas at Austin, where he met his roommate and future collaborator, Owen Wilson. Now, Anderson's first film was Bottle Rocket, based on a short film of the same name that he made with Luke and Owen Wilson. It was a crime caper about a group of young Texans aspiring to achieve major heists. It was well-reviewed, but performed poorly at the box office. His next film was Rushmore, a quirky comedy about a high school student's crush on an elementary school teacher starring Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, and Olivia Williams. It was a critical and financial success. What I find interesting, however, is that Rushmore launched Bill Murray's second act as a respected actor within independent cinema. Murray has since appeared in every Anderson film to date. In 2000, filmmaker Martin Scorsese praised Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Since its release, Rushmore has gained cult status, and in 2016, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. His other films have been met with similar praise. In 2001, The Royal Tannenbaums. 2004, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissel. 2007, The Darjeeling Limited. 2009, Fantastic Mr. Fox. 2012, Moonrise Kingdom. 2014, The Grand Budapest Hotel. 2018, Isle of Dogs. With 2021 being his latest film at the time of this transmission, The French Dispatch. Another interesting aspect of Anderson's films is that he has a great deal of recurring collaborators. Anderson's films feature many recurring actors, including the Wilson brothers, Owen, Luke, and Andrew, Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, Angelica Houston, Wallace Wolerarski, Willem Dafoe, Francis McDormand, Edward Norton, Kumar Palana, Bob Balaban, Adrian Brody, and Tilda Swinton. Robert Yeoman has served as director of photography for all of Anderson's live action films, while Mark Mothersbaugh composed Anderson's first four films, with Alexandre Desplat taking over for every film since Fantastic Mr. Fox. Randall Poster has served as music supervisor for all of Anderson's films since Rushmore. Clearly, this is a director with whom people enjoy working and want to come back for future projects. Our discussion for this transmission will cover as much as we can of Wes Anderson's career and the films that he's made. If you enjoy our discussions and would like to get in touch with us or support our efforts, consider visiting our website at OurMidnightCake.com. I'm going to drop it now. I think Wes Anderson is one of the best filmmakers of our day. He certainly makes the best Wes Anderson movie I've ever seen. 
That's true. <laughs> Each <laughs> new Wes Anderson movie is more Wes Anderson than the previous one. That's for sure. One thing I will say about Wes Anderson is that I usually love his movies visually, even if I don't always understand them or remember them. I visually they always stick with me, so I love his movies. Now it may take me one or two times to watch it and see if I really understood it or not. And sometimes I get lost in the dialogue, but visually I always love his movies. He he does have a distinct visual signature that I think anybody can appreciate. Yeah, I do. I, I I'm not the the largest uh, Wes Anderson fan, but I do appreciate the effort that goes into making the movies as well as. I don't. I, I appreciate what he does with the movies. If and I'm not sure exactly how to explain that. <laughs> any, any if I if I can explain it any better than that. For me, I look at Wes Anderson like I do stop motion. Like I'll always love the look of his movies, even though the story may not always hit for me. I, I feel like what you're saying is like someone has gone through and, and arranged a set of colored pencils, okay, the way they liked it, and you don't necessarily always love the way they arrange them, but you appreciate the care that was put into it. <laughs> you Sometimes know, they're is, not even colored that pencils. Is, uh, that, that is accurate, I think. Okay. But they're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you would have put the reds over here. <laughs> no, I agree with his color schemes. <laughs> like like the, the colors are nice that, that he uses, and I appreciate the symmetry. I appreciate... Also, the way that he has the camera move. I also love too, and I'd see it more probably in his, I don't know, at least the last five movies he's done. I mean, he always kind of switches stuff around, but he'll, he does it a lot more seamlessly than others do where he'll switch styles. He'll switch from like comic looking stuff to more, um, some of it may be actually stop motion and like little felt creatures or whatever. Some of it may be, um, using models for certain shots or to show an action uh, action sequence in a certain way, it will be completely different than what you expect just from how the tone of the movie is going. But he usually finds a way to make it work together, which a lot of people couldn't even do one of those things properly. So that's one thing that just, like I had mentioned, whether it like resonates with me, it, the visually I'm always impressed how he connects everything together. Did you see his most recent? The uh, I did. I did see it. Yes. French. So you, 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 um, like the the way they transitioned into those animated sequences. Yes. And I think I think when it first happened, uh, the narrator noted that it was from uh, a comic, and the recent yeah. newspaper. Except, of course, we were getting the animated version of it. I remember an, um, an interview that he did with the New York Times. It was. Uh, concerning the Grand Budapest Hotel, and my favorite, he was being interviewed with, by David Carr, and along with him was uh, Ray Fines. And Wes Anderson said how he always wanted to do something new in his movies. He never wanted his movies to just seem like, oh, we've seen this movie before, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the the way that the French Dispatch was shot was. Uh, definitely different right you had the you each little piece was like a you know a different story out of the magazine Mm. or the paper and each one I loved the play between color and black and white 
to tell yeah. things that had happened where like when someone was speaking sort of in present, it was in color. And then I did really love the animated part during that police chase because it, yes. again, it just like livened things up. It's one of the, I think, characteristics of his films that I really do appreciate is that attention to detail. And I think making things novel for the audience, being able to tell like a, a complex story, I think with, you know, that sort of twist in the visuals um, right when they're needed, I think is really enjoyable. You could see that in Isle of Dogs too, where it's like some things were in stop motion and other things seem uh -huh. animated. That's one thing I've always appreciated with his work is, I mean, we talk about it a lot with practical effects, you know, and in, in most modern movies, but his, I really think of it more of like theater. I'm always a fan of practical effects. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but his, I, I think of it more of like theater magic. You've got a set and maybe they could only afford half the set. So they just built that half. But he plays into that like it's a blueprint for a lot of his movies, like, and use that to pan the camera in certain ways. So, like, I think it was in French Dispatch and he had the, the showgirl and the, um, the kid talking through the door um, of the closet but you don't see the wall there. You are the wall. I've always loved that about his movies. This all started because I was putting up the Christmas tree this last, this last winter. And um, my wife was doing something and she just put on fantastic Mr. Fox. And I remember stopping decorating the Christmas tree so that I could finish the movie. <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh, I remember like, wow, this, this movie's great. It's like a really well-made movie. Like I like the story. Like I like the pacing. I like the animation, obviously. I think the characters are all interesting. It was like, after that, we were talking about it. My wife and I were talking about it and she was like, like, what if we just watched during like the Christmas break? What if we just watched a different Wes Anderson film every single night? And let's just like start at the beginning and let's just like go through and we'll jump over Fantastic Mr. Fox because we've already seen it. And so we started with Rushmore because we thought that that was the first one that he had done. And about halfway through the films, we realized that he had made Bottle Rocket before. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so we were like, well, we'll save that one to the end. So then it like connects back around again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm kind of glad we did because I think if if Bottle Rocket was the first film or the only film that I'd ever seen of Wes Anderson, I don't know if I'd have liked his stuff not, as not, much. Not his best. Uh, no. no. And you can see where he's matured in his storytelling. But there's, I think there was still a lot that I loved about Bottle Rocket because I knew his catalog. And so when I was watching yeah. it, it was really, it was really cool. It was seeing sort of like this young Wes Anderson before he's done everything. And you could kind of tell like, oh, he, he he does this in Rushmore and he does this in, you know, Steve Zissou. And and that that thing was very similar to the to that shot that happens here in this film. It was really cool to go back and then watch as the last one, his like first work. And it put a nice like bow on everything. And it was a fun thing to do with my wife when we were going through the uh, Christmas season. I was thinking about Bottle Rocket honestly feels much more like a 90s film than it does a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you can you can see in it where he he could have taken a different turn and and made movies just like everyone else. It was funny uh, listening to uh, Luke Wilson talk about Bottle Rocket because they all went to I think University of Texas and it was in University of Texas that they became friends and they they loved film and they wanted to get into it. Wes Anderson never went to film school. He wanted to be a writer mm. and they really wanted to produce this film. And so they did a short film that then ended up turning into Bottle Rocket. And, I, and they like had a couple of thousand dollars between them and they borrowed some money from their parents. 
there was like an interview where Luke Wilson said there's like a melancholy atmosphere about the movie because we all wanted to be in movies. And we thought, well, this is the only movie we're ever going to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, the Wilsons go on to be in a bunch of other things. And Wes Anderson makes eight different films or whatever. And they most all of them have had not just like acclaimed success, but also box office success. So it's just kind of funny to... And I hear that perspective from someone like Luke Wilson, who doesn't know what his future is going to be like back in the days of making this, you know, really cheap, like super eight film with Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah. With all of the dialogue in his films, one of the things that I find interesting is that the characters will speak what they're thinking because because mm -hmm. uh, characters in film, they are entirely objective because we, we only know about the character by what the character is doing, the expressions, the, you know, what the character is saying, the actions. And he helps with the development of the characters by having them speak what they're thinking. So we get to know the characters much more personally than you know other characters in other movies. I love the play that comes in with his writing and the story and how people communicate with each other. So for example, you find out about the love tryst sort of between the young Cub Scout and the, the girl in the lighthouse in Moonrise Kingdom through the letters that they send back and forth. Yeah. They read their letters to progress the story. And it was, I really liked how in the Isle of Dogs, you had the reporters who were giving these reports or translating what the Japanese characters were saying into some sort of story. That was like another way that communication happened that moved it along. And it seems like there's frequently, there's times where you have interviews and narrators who are almost like reading something that help fill in those gaps, but that mm -hmm. don't make it seem awkward. Like someone is just standing doing an information dump, trying to get things out of there. He, he always sort of makes it interesting that way. It's not just um, a narrator. It's it, it has yeah, exactly. kind of tie in. Like in the, in the Royal Tenenbaums, you have Royal who's, who's getting a, a massage from a lady and he's getting kicked out of the hotel that he's lived in for the last 20 years or so. And there's mention of having received a letter and then the audience sees the letter. They get the gist of what's going on. And then the guy who has the letter starts reading it so that, you know, again, that's, <laughs> that, that thing is communicated and reiterated. That part of the story sticks with the audience because of, you know, they've heard about the letter, they see the letter, they hear the letter and how it all fits in with the story and the scene. Something else that we were talking about was the use of the camera and something that I found interesting with the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie that I've seen, is how the aspect ratio changes depending on the time period. Oh, yeah. He uses that so well. Through the yes. And it's, 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 it's a subtle change, but it's it's enough to where the audience realizes that there's something different going on. Those kinds of things are very interesting to me. And I feel like, too, he's not just using them as a gimmick, you know, where some filmmakers do. He's mm -hmm. really using that. He's using the writing, the narration. He's using those things to enhance the story in any way he can, which a lot of times people just have trouble telling a story, much less enhancing it in unique ways. Yes. You know, he'll draw their attention to specific things, you know, on purpose so that the story is communicated. Like you're talking about with the Isle of Dogs and how a huge portion of that movie is in Japanese and with no subtitles or, or translation. <laughs> and it's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Or it's aggravating. 
Or, or attack me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but not want to know what everyone is saying. <laughs> My wife and I call it, like, we say biscuit all the time <laughs> for cookies Biscuit-o. and stuff. <laughs> biscuit <laughs> I really love his stories. I love the preparation that he's put into the story and in thinking of how he wants to communicate that story. All of his scripts are completely finished when they start filming. Like, like this is the script. <laughs> this is what we're going with. So it's not like The Last Jedi, where they're making it up as they're filming. And at this <laughs> point, not only are his scripts finished, but he knows which lines are going to be told us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Insert a Bill Murray here. Yeah. Or Wilson over there. He said he always feels he doesn't know quite how to feel when he takes parts to people. And he's like, hey, this is what I've got in mind for you. Are you OK with it? Because <laughs> sometimes they're really small, you know. Yeah, I, I wondered if he would feel bad about writing a movie without Bill Murray. <laughs> so, sorry, Bill, I just I didn't have anything for you. <laughs> but even his little side characters like that, they're always they're always worth it. Even just what little bit of a purpose they have. They're, they're great. In that interview for The New York Times, David Carr asks Ray Fiennes, like, you can make so much more money playing M in the Bond series than you can playing M. Gustav and Grand Budapest Hotel. Like what draws you to working with someone like Wes? And his first response was, well, with Wes, you always eat well. <laughs> um, Cause apparently there's like a chef that he hires and. <laughs> oh, he, he was one of the, the concierges in the Grand Budapest Hotel. The chef? Um, they, yeah, they, they gave him yeah. a, a part to, <laughs> to play. <laughs> when uh because this was like Ray's first time working with Wes Anderson and Wes said well like we've got the chef basically kind of like bought out a hotel that straddled Poland and Germany and everybody was like in the hotel and like going back and forth and stuff and it was this like really intimate feel and so they had this chef there that would make these nightly meals and Rafe was like do I have to go to these (laughs) like every night like that sounds like a lot and Wes was like no 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 like yeah you don't have to go. We just provide it. Then Wes says, but to my recollection, you were there like every night. And Rafe was like, oh, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Rafe said that working with someone like Wes Anderson was an absolute joy because A, of the preparation that Wes Anderson went into it, the fact that he he had everything ready to go and it was a really easy fit to like go into it, that there was a lot of joy in making the production. And I think that you can tell just because of everybody returning for each movie, you know, it's like the list just keeps growing and growing of people who like to work with Wes Anderson. When Wes came to pitch him on the character, they sat down and they read the script, obviously, but that's not all that they did. Wes showed him like costume pieces and like mustaches to try on, on hair pieces and stuff like that. And then showed him like, Oh, yeah, costumes are very important for West Anderson characters. That character, by the way, that was a great character. Such a good character. Uh, Rafe just said, like, you could tell the care and the love and like attention to detail that like West had put into building this world. He just said, yeah, like it was just something you just want to be a part of. And I think it's cool again that the ensemble cast just keeps growing and growing and growing, and people want to return regardless of how big the role is because they know that. Wes is going to be prepared. He's going to have a vision. It's going to be a compelling story. 
and it will be fun. Also, despite having seen the Grand Budapest Hotel like maybe five times now, I did not put together that the young actor in that was Flash Thompson from the Spider-Man. <laughs> until oh, it, it? until looking it. at things for this weekend. <laughs> I did not realize that until you just said that just now. I totally see it now. No, they're two different, they're completely different characters. It's he, he does a good job. If you haven't picked up any of his books or read them, I would highly recommend them. And they just include everything in here. Like they've got interviews, like you've been mentioning, storyboards, they've got all the stuff with like the color schemes. It, they're really amazing to look at. It's like these are his cliff notes, it feels like, you know. Have you seen the accidentally Wes Anderson stuff? Yes, I've seen some of that yeah. too. Accidentally like- Wes Anderson. <laughs> It's like a collection of photos that feature his sense of like muted colors and and symmetry. I think where where it's yeah. it's not it's not from his movies, but it just it looks like it could be. That's funny. <laughs> I would definitely recommend those books if you haven't checked any of them out. There's like five or six of them, but they're they're pretty awesome. I do want to check them out. I'm, I'd be happy to learn more about Wes Anderson and his whole process that he goes through. I mean, it's got like, it shows like fabric swatches and just, you know, any random thing that you could think of would be in like a giant Wes Anderson Bible to make any of these movies. It's just amazing. (laughs) I'm curious to know what everybody's favorite Wes Anderson film is and why. Grand Budapest Hotel. And it's, it's just perfect. Okay. I've probably got a different answer. I I feel like it's, it's, it's everything I like about all of his movies perfected. <laughs> For me, like color wise, it's Grand Budapest Hotel. Story is probably Moonrise Kingdom. Like the pacing of it, I'd say probably would be Life Aquatic or the French Dispatch. Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. I just have such a tremendous respect for because of all the stop motion animation. You can't, you can't name every Wes Anderson movie. I didn't, I didn't say Darlene Limited or whatever it is. I didn't say that one. That one's not on my top list. Advantages didn't make the cut. I'm aware I picked the most commercially popular one, but... Well, there's there's a good reason for it being the most commercially popular. I just said Moonrise Kingdom before Grand Budapest Hotel. I mentioned earlier that I think that my favorite is the Grand Budapest Hotel. I enjoy the I enjoy the story. I enjoy the characters. I enjoy the cinematography. I enjoy how ridiculous it is. Mm. <laughs> like during the gunfight. <laughs> And oh Edward, Edward Norton, you know, pops in. And he's like, "Okay, everybody, stop! You know, what's going on?" And they, <laughs> they 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 give their versions of the story. He's like, "Okay, okay, you're all under arrest." <laughs> I always love action sequences within his movies, like gunfights, especially like um, in oh, um, they're so fun. The French Dispatch. There's at least one character in each shot of everybody shooting at each other. That's just standing there observing everything not getting hit i think grand budapest is my favorite we actually bought it from apple because it was like one more dollar than renting it or something (laughs) (laughs) that's how they get you it is how they get you (laughs) yeah Yeah, and we were like ah we think like i i hadn't seen it and Ariel was like it's pretty good and i was like ah fine like let's just buy it i'm glad that we did because i've actually watched it three times since we purchased it since christmas but honestly one of the movies that really stuck with me long after was the darjeeling limited you said lumberdor that what didn't make you like your top yeah i remember we watched it on a night when i was kind of tired 
And I started to drift down until the point where they have to rescue the boys who are yeah. like pulling themselves across the canal. That's when the movie completely shifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that. And I started to pick up on that trend in the rest of Wes Anderson's films that there usually is some sort of shift that happens. That's like a real life dynamic thing where people have to wake up, you know, or something, yeah. something changes and people are transformed in that way. And I just love the writing, which goes back to, you know, Wes Anderson, like thinking about how the story is going to progress and the people that he works with. I think in Darjeeling Limited, it was Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola. When Adrian Brody is standing there and he's like, I like, I didn't save mine. Like, cause they, there were three kids and everybody like got theirs out and he's just holding the dead boy. He's like, I, I couldn't do it. Like I, I didn't save mine. And I think that's when the, you have that flashback of the three brothers on their way to their dad's funeral. And they try to stop to break that Porsche out of car jail at that shop. That's like waiting for that part or whatever. And I really love that poignant memory that brought the brothers together. That was like an example of the brothers working together and getting along together. And then Salta's, like you said, the movie shifts and suddenly the brothers now are working together and cooperating instead of fighting each other. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's like, I have those moments, I feel like in every single Wes Anderson film where there's like a touch of humanity that really makes me stop and like appreciate life and appreciate the beauty and sort of appreciate what Wes Anderson is trying to get across in his movies. With the realistic characters, you always have these kind of not perfect in any way, broken families. Like, oh, the, yeah, the characters are very flawed. Very flawed. For the most part, most of them still find the good in each other, even with all the flaws, which you just don't have in a lot of movies. Like uh, in, in the Mitchells versus Machines, that was a big theme. And it's one thing I loved about that movie. But I feel like that's always a part of all of Wes Anderson's movies. And it's just it's because of the writing that you have the chance for those characters to grow and know that they're flawed, but they're also kind of have those reasons that they are flawed, but they still care about each other. So they can't all be winners. Um, what is Wes Anderson's <laughs> worst film and why is it the life Aquatica? Uh, <laughs> well, it's not because of the soundtrack. No. Oh, no, no. And, and another thing that the, the soundtrack and his use of sound in general, yeah. I, I find very interesting. I wonder if you guys noticed this, I because I didn't until I read it, um, where the Grand Budapest Hotel was his first film not to include a pop soundtrack. I didn't know that. But and it, I think um, it makes sense. I could not name the, the person who scored the film, but he won like a best soundtrack uh, or best score award for whatever award it was yeah his his name was alexandre Desplat. oh french, <laughs> fantastic french guy. That out of your back pocket <laughs> I, well it, it was funny because uh wes anderson heard about him and then realized that he lived like a couple of blocks from him so he was <laughs> so he was like neighbor that's lucky <laughs> yeah exactly like we we should we should work on something and and it was the grand budapest hotel which has like a really beautiful soundtrack mm. to it and then they also work together on French Dispatch. But I think also I Love Dogs, now that I think about it. But um, yeah, he's- I Love he's Dogs like, has a great soundtrack too. It's good. I, I will say about The Life Aquatic, I enjoyed, again, 
be the shootout. Is it, is it too many dudes in speedos? Is that the problem? <laughs> no, no. But I, I there's our own order. The shootout where, <laughs> where the captain has enough. It's just like get off my boat. <laughs> starts and then and then he just starts blasting. <laughs> but I don't. I, I have not seen. Like I said, I haven't seen all his movies. But from the ones that I have seen, probably my least favorite would be the Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I, I enjoy that movie, but its pacing is very strange. I'd say for me too, probably Rushmore is probably more on the bottom of the list, but it is one that I, even though I don't like the movie as much, I do really enjoy the uh, the family dynamics in it a whole, a whole lot when I do go back and watch Rushmore. Uh, how about you, Banjo? What, what do you think is his weakest film? I think Bottle Rocket is just because I, it was obviously the first one that they were trying to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. The pacing was a little awkward at times. Honestly, I really liked the rest of them. Like That's one that I don't ever really have to see again, but the rest of his films, I hope I get to continue to watch again. Thank you for joining us in the dimension of our Midnight Cape. We hope you'll visit us again. From myself, Lumberdor, Beaches, and Doug. Thank you, and good night. I wonder if they're at my local library. <laughs> I don't know. Libraries aren't what they used to be, but they are a lot better than they used to be, too. So I don't know. Check them out. <laughs> probably on the internet too was that a promotion for libraries <laughs> yes no, libraries are awesome. i could i couldn't tell i was trying to think about how to read them without buying them. not my local library it's not that great <laughs> you simply um, visit you visit lumberdoor's office and disappear into there for a couple of hours. My local library within my house is fantastic. <laughs> the one outside. Yeah. It's your, a your personal noisy. library is personal a, library. It's a little is a, noisy. It's a curated but... collection of <laughs> wonderful books. <laughs> uh,